0: I wanted the family to know the reason why. It wasn't because I didn't love my son and didn't want to take care of him. I just couldn't. And I wrote a letter. And I was still at my parents' home. And I had left the phone number. And the mother called. And the first question she asked, she said, do you want him back? And my response was, I wish I could. I just can't take care of him.
1: Who am
0: I? Who am I? Who am
1: I? Who am I?
0: Who am I?
1: Who am I? (laughs) Who am I? This is Who Am I Really? A podcast about adoptees that have located and connected with their biological family members. I'm Damon Davis, and today you're going to meet Yvonne. She called me from here in Washington, D.C., Yvonne is a birth mother in reunion with her son after more than 40 years apart. She shares the loneliness of her pregnancy, her desire to keep her baby versus her inability to do so, the moment she came face to face with her son's adoptive mother, and her search to find the man he grew up to be. Yvonne is launching a new podcast birth mother's real talk where other women like herself can share stories openly in a safe place but before we get to her podcast this is Yvonne's journey hey real quick I just wanted to share my appreciation for a new patreon donor and you'll never guess who it is it's last week's guest Sari she told me in a message that she had been meaning to contribute for a while, so I thanked her for taking action to be supportive of the Who Am I Really podcast. If you've been meaning to contribute, take a moment to do it right now. Go to patreon.com slash WAIreally to show your support for more adoptee stories coming to light. You may remember episode number 136, Your Absence Has Gone Through Me with Anne-Marie, a birth mother. Near the end of the episode, I commented that I would love to interview more natural mothers, but that I didn't feel equipped to do so as a man and an adoptee because I didn't think I could do the stories justice. I said, I think it's really important that someone initiate a podcast where natural mothers, like Anne-Marie, can tell their stories too, like adoptees can share their journeys here. After that episode... I got an email from Yvonne that read, Damon, your last podcast was my confirmation that I need to do a podcast for natural mothers. I found my son two and a half years ago after 45 years. Since November of 2020, Yvonne and I have been working on her new show, Birth Moms Real Talk, for the audience of birth mothers out there that have been wanting to share their own stories. But right now, Yvonne would like you to hear her story. Yvonne grew up in Petersburg, Virginia, 25 miles south of Richmond. She was a country girl who grew up on a farm, raising pigs, chickens, and growing vegetables and wheat for bread. She said she laughs at what passes for organic today based on how she grew up. Her family was self-sustaining. Everything they grew and raised, they lived on.
0: I joke and say that my task before I went to school in the morning was gathering the, the eggs and milking the cows. And um, (laughs) my first store-bought milk was when I went to college, and it tasted so strange, and people were looking at me, it's like, no, I'm used to the real thing. that came straight from the cow, but that was something completely different.
1: Yvonne's father worked in civil service at Fort Lee Military Base, and her mother worked at home, maintaining the farm and the family once her children were born. She was a quiet woman, and if you didn't focus on her, you might not even know she was in the room. Quite the opposite of Yvonne's vibrant personality, in my opinion. She described herself as always being an inquisitive person, asking questions and wondering why things were the way they were. The youngest of three children, Yvonne considers herself a tomboy.
0: Because there's always boys in the neighborhood, so I played the marbles, I rode the bike. In fact, quite frankly, my brothers would uh, bet against their friends. I bet you can't beat my sister in riding a bike, but I
1: could. Is that right? They would bet against their friends in favor of you? (laughs) That's kind of funny. Good for them.
0: (laughs) Yes, yes. So I grew around mostly boys in the neighborhood, so I always felt as if I I could do what boys did or whatever.
1: Yvonne went to high school in the 1960s in the rural South. She did well in her studies, joining the Honor Society and making great grades. But she was only one of 20 black students who desegregated what had been a white school. So
0: that was a very turbulent time. But at the same time, it was a time that I really stood, I guess, my ground and for my rights. And that was a time that I wanted the very best education. Thus my intent was to go to college and, quite frankly, be a doctor in Africa. And here I am now, working globally.
1: That's amazing. Wow. What do you remember about the struggle of desegregating a school in the 60s in rural Virginia?
0: A lot of it is coming back now during the turbulent times that we're in. Because that was the day, the time of the Civil Rights Act was passed in 1965 that gave us the right to go to the other school and the opportunity before is separate but equal. And it was standing and really going through being called names and things thrown at us simply because we just wanted the education. We weren't trying to start anything and so forth. So protests were last summer are just continual. You know, that whole system, and it did bring back a lot of memories. It's like, have things really changed since 1965? This systemic racism, and that's true. That is a true thing that I have seen before my eyes. I have.
1: Wow. Well, I'm always thankful for those who've come before me that because the people who endured that's true, that yeah. kind of struggle and strife have mm-hmm. made it possible for me. To be even as accepted as I am, let alone have the opportunities that I have, and there's mm-hmm. a there's a big difference, right? You Absolutely, can, you can be yeah, you know, sort of accepted in society. Like, yeah, he's over there, and he's not bothering me, and I'm you know I'm not gonna hurt mm-hmm. him. And then there's actually mm-hmm. opportunity. After high school, Yvonne went to Lincoln University, the school that originated as the very first historically black university in the United States in 1837 in Pennsylvania. Going from rural Virginia's farm life to that university two states away was a huge culture shock. At 18 years old, Yvonne had never even spent a night away from home, and there she was, launching her collegiate studies. She was scared to death, to use her words, but she desperately wanted the opportunity to achieve more. Yvonne attended Lincoln on scholarship and took jobs on campus in the lab, worked as a trainer, and started a business, kind of a precursor to Uber while she was there. There were a few dollars of scholarship money left over, so Yvonne bought a car and shuttled people to Philadelphia to the airport or bus station, ride-sharing multiple passengers who needed a ride for a few dollars a person. Yvonne wanted to be a physician in Africa, so she studied pre-med biology and chemistry, took summer classes at Virginia State University when she was back for the summers in Petersburg, and graduated one year early in only three years.
0: I finished my studies in three years because I actually had been accepted into an early admission into medical school, Rutgers University in New Jersey, and Medical College of Virginia in Richmond, Virginia. And so Mm. I had finished Lincoln, and I just had to go back in the next year to get my degree to get into uh, medical school. So I got some money to go to medical school, but not enough to really get in. And mm-hmm. go and enter it. So, so that was 1973 that I finished at Lincoln, and that was the year I became pregnant.
1: So, what did you do after college then, leading up to your pregnancy now? Tell me what happened after college.
0: Well, actually, I became pregnant the, in 73, which was my last year on college campus. And so, essentially, that was like maybe January. So, my son was born October. Uh, of that last year of college, after I finished my, my studies. And so after getting my degree the next year that I was an analytical chemist for three years, then became a stockbroker and then went into my own business, which I've been in for the last 32 years.
1: Wow. So is it my, it's my understanding that you got pregnant in your second year? and maintain the pregnancy while studying and still graduated early is that correct yes that's amazing wow <laughs> it was it was a
0: journey you know the thing of it when i found out i was pregnant you know i'd really had finished my studies i had to go back and take my comprehensive exam and my son was born that october of that year. I ended up graduating that next May. And then that's when I went into a corporate job at actually a research and development lab as an analytical chemist. That was my first job after college.
1: Fascinating. Yvonne's son's father was someone she knew from Petersburg, Virginia. He had been in Vietnam for two to three years. She said when he returned from the Vietnam War, he was not the same person he was when he left. Like so many veterans of war, he struggled with a variety of things, Re-entering life at home. He was in and out of different living situations and was trying to sort himself out. And it was around that time that they reconnected.
0: So that was the only time that we sort of got back together my last year of college. And that was when I did become pregnant.
1: And what did you think when you found out that you were pregnant?
0: Well, my first thought was, wow, first of all, I didn't know. Uh, it, I didn't miss my cycles. And actually, it was that springtime of 73 that I was back at home and, again, on the farm. And I was doing something on the farm, and I felt the cramp. It's like, okay, that's different. And when I went to my, my doctor, and I found, and that's when he would say, well, yeah, you're feeling a cramp. You're you're expecting and so I didn't know until that time. So at the, at the time when it's like, what did I think is like okay, um, what am I going to do? I reached out to to the father, and quite frankly, he was not in a situation of believing. Really I think even knowing what I was saying to him, and so it was thinking in terms of what will will I do? I'll note that my doctor actually was my mentor. <laughs> of helping me, and I worked in the local hospitals a couple of summers with his recommendation because he knew I was pre-bed, and so his question was, knowing number one, I had been accepted to medical school, it's like, well, what are you going to do? I said, oh, no, let me go home and talk to my parents, and so when I went home and talked to first my mom, and as I said before, my mom, you really wouldn't know she's in the room, so when I said to her I said mom I'm pregnant and it was silence and I don't say that was different because I, my family is a very non-communicative family of not talking or responding so it was like did you hear me mom and still really nothing so as I said my dad worked um, in civil service at Fort Lee. And so he was at work at that time, so the next day, when I saw him, I said to him, and it was like it was like I wasn't saying anything at all and like not acknowledging what I said. So I called, my doctor, went back in, and said, "I don't know. I'm not getting any response from my parents." And at that situation, like I say, I was just finishing college and then didn't have a job. And so I didn't know what I would do, but I knew I would need help. And at that particular point, I wasn't getting any help. And so it was trying to figure out what's the next step.
1: That's really fascinating. So if I have this straight, your own doctor was also a mentor to you in your studies because you're Mm -hmm. studying to be a doctor. And yet you're now approaching him with a personal challenge that you've gone home told your parents each individually neither yes. one of them has said a thing now you're back at the doctor trying uh-huh. to get guidance that's that's fascinating so what did what did you guys discuss
0: well again he was he said what I wanted to do I said i I, I, I would like to to have my child but I don't have any help I don't I don't know what to do There's no one in helping or assistance in any way, or not getting a response from my parents. And I I always knew during growing up, it was like just not the family of talking about things. And I, I expected a response, but I never got a response at all.
1: After speaking with her parents a second time, but not getting any meaningful response, Yvonne didn't know what she was going to do. Returning to her doctor and mentor, He told her that he knew of a family in his neighborhood who had been trying to have a child and he thought their home would be a good place for her son. Adoption was on the table for discussion.
0: And I have to say he was my angel and I use that word angel because he stepped in. He uh, took care of everything because the thing with the, the care I didn't have insurance, so he took, I mean, really did charge anything. <laughs> he just, I mean, he was. He was truly just an angel of stepping in and was there for me when actually it wasn't my family that was
1: there for me. Wow. That's really amazing. Not everybody, as you know, has had anything remotely resembling that kind of kind outpouring from a professional. That's yes. That's really nice to hear. Yvonne made the decision to carry her son to term and place him in adoption with the family the doctor recommended. Yvonne wasn't getting any help from her mother about what to expect during her pregnancy. She didn't get any guidance from her mom about what her body would feel like when the time came to deliver, and she was very much alone through it all.
0: Well, realizing I'm having pains. <laughs> so, so, something's up. So, maybe this is the day. Not really knowing, like, okay, five minutes apart or whatever. And I really wasn't timing. And again, I bring back to probably a uh, rural area. We were, I live maybe about 10 miles from the hospital. And so, just thinking with the severity of the pains, I, said, I think it's time. And my older brother was there on the farm, and I asked him to take me to the hospital. And so went to the hospital, into the emergency room, and they examined me, but said, I guess it wasn't time, and sent me home. Okay. So then maybe about three or four hours later, well, meanwhile, he left. Um, My mother did not drive.
1: Wait, your brother left in the three hours that you were at the hospital.
0: My brother left,
1: Mm -hmm. and so
0: I drove myself, Daylin.
1: Back to the hospital?
0: To the hospital.
1: Mm -hmm. And so you had to check yourself in, and you went through this alone?
0: And Dr. B, um, my doctor, he was called, so he took me up to Labor and Delivery. And uh, he came in and delivered my son. And he had already notified the hospital that I would be placing. And when I said he's an angel, he had, this is 1973. There were no private rooms in hospitals. But somehow he got me a private room. Mm-hmm. And meaning that it was another bed, but no one ever came in there. And because he had set that up. That way I did not see my son when he was born I heard him had good lungs <laughs> and so after I had delivered uh, I was taken back to my hospital room and I was there for three days basically by myself didn't have any visitors and when I um, went home my son ended up staying a couple more days later, a few days later, but I went home and basically when I could be released, I called someone to pick me up and take me home. And no one at home ever said anything about it, didn't mention or ask me whether I had a boy or a girl. I announced I have a son. I remember doing that. I have a son.
1: Gosh, so many pieces to this. How, how did you announce it? Did you just blurt it out? Like, y'all aren't asking me, so I'm just telling you. Like, how how did that go?
0: Yeah, and when I came into the house, I had a son. That's how I did it. Nothing ever was ever said to me again, or questions, or anything. Mm. Anything.
1: Do you? (laughs) I'm thinking of so many things. You sat there in that hospital for three days. And for three days you stayed there. That means, and you couldn't just drive yourself home. That means somebody came and got the car, but did not actually come in to see you. hmm Because
0: it was parked in the um, emergency parking lot.
1: How did you feel about your family in those times?
0: Well, <laughs> while I was at home, maybe before I went to college, and I say this statement, I make it very succinctly, that I, th- I broke out of a dysfunctional system and family that obviously had been there for years. I mean, I'd seen it during elementary school, high school, just not talking, like not acknowledging. And it wasn't just that time that I was pregnant, but like I said, I was a very good student. And it was not even acknowledging my accomplishment in, you know, honest society, you know, I played in a band, concert band, and recognitions and not really getting that. So I end up being that person that I would give to myself or validate myself. And so understanding whatever generation, and my parents were older, of that's what they could do or could not do. And... Felt as if they needed to be there for me. Yes, absolutely. Um, end up learning to understand they just couldn't. You know, just in, in therapy and all things I've been through through the years, just recognizing that they weren't able to give me what I needed, and and I didn't get it.
1: Mm-hmm. You know,
0: even from um, my older brothers, and they're still living to this day.
1: Yvonne had completed her studies early in January of 1973. In March, she found out she was pregnant, and her son was born in October. Graduation was May 1974 from Lincoln University, but she didn't need to be back on campus since her studies were complete. From October to May, Yvonne was still at home, and no one was talking about what she had been through. No one asked about the baby boy she had brought into the world.
0: It was still that alone, trying to deal with it myself, of recognizing that I have a son and just, and, and to me, I've always been that one when I, I have to say it out loud. So me announcing and saying out loud, that, that made it real, even though no one was acknowledging it, but it was real to me.
1: hmm
0: That time itself, back again on the farm, doing farm chores, so I never really, didn't really work that six months. But it was coming to terms with the fact I was a mother. just coming to terms with that and wondering about him. A part of the, I call it the the God story about it, because I believe God has such a path for us and he lays it out before us, that during the time of the, After delivery, again, Doctor B, being that angel, had set up everything regarding the legal signing of papers and so forth. That I, um, (laughs) and that's what I said. I don't know, it was a guy thing or just the way it worked. I ended up finding the last name of the family who was going to adopt my son, and I wrote a letter, Damon. Back in 1973, they still had phone books, with people's (laughs) phone numbers and addresses. And so I just looked in the phone book for that last name and wrote a letter. I wanted the family to know the reason why. It wasn't because I didn't love my son and didn't want to take care of him. I just couldn't. And I wrote a letter. And I was still at my parents' home, and I had left the phone number. And the mother called, and the first question she asked, she said, "Do you want him back?" And my response was, "I wish I could. I just can't take care of him."
1: That must have been really hard to say. Yeah. It must have it was also. True. It also must have been hard to realize. That you've got this secondary opportunity and yes. and you just, you can't make it happen.
0: That, that, that was that. And I, I said, when things come before you, they're for a reason. And that gave me that chance to tell the story because recognizing my, my, my doctor could only say a certain amount. And because what he said to me, he shared a little bit about the family. He knew the family. They lived in his neighborhood. They'd been trying to have a child, and they would give a good home. And so I suspect, likewise, he probably told them he's known me since I was, like, 13 years old. She was, you know, finishing college, had finished college, headed to medical school. So I'm suspecting that's what he told them. But I just wanted to just say it that this fact it's not because he was not wanted. It was because I simply could not yeah. take care of him and his father was not available either to help in any way.
1: Wow. Did you did you appreciate that call from her? Yes. Yes, because when I wrote
0: I had no clue whether i hear anything. I didn't I didn't. So, yes, I did. Yes, I did. So that was great to even have that and not knowing what's in her mind. Well, well one of the first things, of course, is thinking that that I wanted to to end the, the adoption. Because so that was her question. Do you want him back? I was like, I really wish I could. I really wish I could. I wrote simply to let you know the circumstance. I wanted you to know. And hopefully you will share with him to let him know that he was loved and and it's not because he wasn't wanted.
1: Six months later, Yvonne got her own place, got a job as an analytical chemist, and moved away from home. She continued to try to accumulate life successes, but the experience conceiving a child, delivering her son alone, and not being supported by her family was lingering with her. A piece of her was out in the world without her. I asked what it was like to live her day-to-day life with such a massive secret in her recent past.
0: Yes. And I'm glad you said secret because it it wasn't something that of course I announced every day there were a few people that came in my life that I would share and said I placed this on. What one of the first persons, quite frankly, was someone that we worked together. Actually, one of my, probably after three or four years, I had moved jobs from being an analytical chemist to a stockbroker, and I was riding with a coworker, and it turned out she had been adopted, and she had, I guess... But it was like a family adoption or something, and she was, was about to meet or heard of or knew, was learning some things about her birth mom. And we were riding in the car, and as she was driving, I was a passenger. And her statement, she said, I don't understand why my mother placed me in adoption. And my response was, I do. <laughs> and she said, sort of, what do you mean? I said, I do because I did. And I did it because I love my son and I wanted him to have a good life. So that was one of the first times I shared it.
1: Wow. That must have been mind blowing for both of you. One, for oh, her. Oh, yeah. yeah, she had to pull the car over. Yeah, she's <laughs> sitting next to a birth mother that she didn't know. And two, no. you're not saying this to anybody. And for all of a sudden, this wide open opportunity mm-hmm. presents itself for you to finally release the valve and admit it to somebody. That's incredible. hmm mm-hmm. Wow.
0: Right. So we, she pulled the car over and she looked at me. She's turned and looked at me. Really? Yes. Really. And Dang. I told her the story.
1: That's unreal. Mm-hmm. Was it a relief to tell somebody?
0: Oh, yes. Oh, yes. And And then she wasn't the first, so it wasn't – I'm just blasting out, but random times in which there was an opportunity exist. And I, I can probably say the first time I say I went public as the work mother was probably about maybe six years after that. I ended up getting married maybe about seven years after my son was born. Marriage lasted close to 10 years, never had children, had a couple of miscarriages. But after that time, and I did a lot of community work, and I remember being on a panel, and it was regarding, it was regarding adoption is actually, and you may have heard the organization called One Church, One Child, that churches, mainly black churches, would advocate for is in, in people adopting children, black children that were in orphanages or whatever, and I was one of the panelists. And, and that was a question about, for is why someone should. And I said, I'm a birth mother. And it was like, and, and I seemed to just, to just announce, well, I'm a birth mother. <laughs> it's like, okay. And, and no one in, in that whole room or that, that whole meeting knew that until I announced it and this shared my story. So when opportunity presented itself, I would, but it was pretty much mostly on a, one to one shared arrangement, shared when we're in a conversation.
1: As Yvonne was telling her story, it hit me that she knew exactly where her son was. In the 1970s, we couldn't cyberstalk people online and watch them from afar. You had to physically go check on someone to see how they were doing. I wondered if she ever drove by the family's house where her son lived, but she said no. She believed in their right to privacy. Yvonne did take advantage of the state of Virginia's adoption registry and periodically, when she had life changes, she would update her address and medical information with the state. She knew that when he turned 18, her son could contact the Department of Social Services and ask for her letters and information.
0: I wanted him to have that. I wanted him to have that. But at the same time, knowing in the area that he was, but thinking to... One of the first thing I wanted, Damon, and birth models I think relate to this, I wanted to see a picture of him. Because my only time, because I said I left about at three days later. He could he left a few days after that. And the way we had first set up the uh placement with the attorney and the and the signing of the documents is that The law firm who was handling adoption, a paralegal, someone from the firm, would pick my son up at the hospital. Well, after I got home, after three days, I got a call that I was the only one who could pick him up for the maternity ward. So, I went back to the hospital to pick my son up for the maternity and meet the paralegal in the lobby of the hospital. So... I saw my son for the first time and the last time, 10 days after he was born.
1: Oh, my God. That is unreal. That must have been so hard to do.
0: Hardest day of my life.
1: Because you had to pick him up and hand him off again.
0: It was the hardest day of my life. But his face was etched in my mind. I remember looking at him, and I said, you've got my nose, you've got my eyes, you've got my mouth. I could see that. I could see that. And that was etched in my mind.
1: Yvonne thoughtfully, hopefully, continued updating her information with the state for years. But she admitted her main desire was to see a picture of her son. The last memory she had of him was the infant she picked up from the maternity ward and handed off to a stranger in the hospital's lobby. She told me God has taken her on some twists and turns during her journey, and her time as a stockbroker was one of them. She was working out of Richmond, Virginia, only 30 miles from Petersburg, so she would visit home from time to time. Yvonne also had a client assigned to her there in Petersburg, a physician. So she called to make an appointment to introduce herself.
0: So I came into the building and just announced myself, you know, Yvonne Rivers uh, here for Dr. So-and-so. And I had a seat. And I look up at the desk where the receptionist who greeted me and said, you know, you'll let Dr. So-and-so know. I looked up and the name tag on the desk was the adoptive mom's name
1: no are you serious Yeah. i'm serious
0: i'm serious and it it took me 10 seconds like where the office the building was located and the vicinity of what i knew the adoptive parents lived i put it all together in 10 seconds and then it was like whew. i mean it was like almost like, i think i was hyperventilating It's okay what am i going to do because when it came in, I announced myself, but it was like, you know, I didn't make an appointment with her. It was with the doctor. And so I said, get yourself together, Yvonne. Stand up. Because behind her was a credenza that had a picture that seemed like a family picture. And the first thought in my mind was, my son is in that picture. I've got to see that picture. I got myself together enough to, to be able to stand up again and <laughs> was walking towards the desk when the doctor came out and I had to go in and see him. I don't know what I said to this man, Damon. I really don't. I really don't. Because I was just that picture on that credential. And so when I finished the appointment and I came out and she was still at the desk, I never could get A close look at that picture. But I just wanted to see that picture because I knew he had to be in that picture.
1: Oh, my gosh. That is so crazy. Are you serious? I'm serious.
0: (sighs) And that was verified when I end up meeting my son. I told him this story and I said, was that her? He said, yes.
1: That is unbelievable. You came face to face Mm -hmm. with the adoptive mother and Mm -hmm. she's got a picture of your Mm -hmm. son behind her that you don't even actually get to see. Mm -mm. I was
0: I mean, I was just I just couldn't just couldn't. It was too far. I just couldn't. But I could tell it was a picture seeming of a family. I said, he's got to
1: be in it. Unbelievable. Unbelievable. At that time. Yvonne would have been about 28 years old. Her son was about 6 years old in that picture that she never saw. Sometime later, after that harrowing incident, Yvonne was married.
0: We knew each other for maybe a total of 10 years. The marriage lasts for maybe 7 and a half 8 years. Um, we end up having two miscarriages, so no children came out of
1: that. Mm, tell me about your miscarriages. That must have been really difficult. I mm-hmm. mean, above... The norm, and I, I don't mean to make light of any anyone else's miscarriages. They're all tragic yeah. losses. But you have actually delivered a son before that you mm-hmm. don't get to raise, and now here you are trying to have other children, and you can't. Uh-huh. What was that like?
0: Well, the first thought, quite frankly, was um, I don't know whether I said it this way or not. The I really felt as if, and I said this one day, that God was punishing me because I had a son and didn't raise him and I wasn't going to get the opportunity to have others. That was yeah. one of my first thoughts.
1: Mm. That must have been really tough. Did your husband try to talk you down from that?
0: Well, not really. I mean, like, it's like, and people are at different stages of whatever. The, the loss itself. Of the child, uh, because we had always talked about having a family and not being able to. And especially when the marriage ended, I just it was like at a time of feeling as if not not things are just not going my way. <laughs> that was really a lot.
1: Of course, I wanted to know what was happening in Yvonne's life when reunion happened for her and her son. She knew where he was raised as a young man, but after high school, there was no way of knowing where he would have ended up. Internet connectivity and social media platforms became part of Yvonne's life in the early 2000s. She searched online, using Facebook and LinkedIn, but never really found anything. At first, Yvonne found her son's younger brother, one of two boys born into her son's family after his adoption.
0: It was June 15th 2015. Ask me how I remember that. Birth moms always remember. We, we remember. And, you know, on LinkedIn, you see a picture. Sometimes people have birth dates or not. But at this particular time, and I saw this, and I was searching just the last name and popped up, and it didn't say a birthday, but it said where maybe where you were born at or something like that. So I maybe put in last name, then I would search. I was at Internet Sleuth because I'm looking for my son. And and, uh, I saw a profile come up and looked at the face. And it's like, I remember saying, that's my son. I remember calling my best girlfriend, who was my college roommate. We've known each other for over 50 years. I said, I found my son. On LinkedIn. And when I found that picture, and if if anyone who knows me knows, I'm going to go for it. It's either now or never. So I wrote a message. Well, first she had to connect. And I think I requested a connection. And obviously got it. So I'm thinking, okay, that's got to be him. He accepted my connection. So that same day, I sent a message, kind of cryptic. In other words, in search of sun in this subject and see you from this area. Would you know anything or something like that? And so the response back was, not sure what you're asking. And I said, okay. So, But I was convinced. I was convinced. You know, he did not acknowledge that. I was just convinced. And I said, if or when you know or you want to talk or this is you, I left my phone number. And my email address. And that was 2015. Heard nothing until 2018. Still kept connected to this profile. I was never deleted. So that's what just kept convincing me. This has got to be him. This has got to be him. That same LinkedIn message I sent on April 28th. 2018, nearly three years later, a message from that same one I had sent. Hi, I'd like to meet you and talk.
1: Wow. What did you think when you saw it? Ah. (laughs) Hallelujah. (laughs) (laughs) That
0: was the first thing. That was the first thing because it was it was high. Want to meet? Oh, would you be willing to meet or talk? It was, will you? Like asking if I was. And I said, absolutely yes. That was my response I wrote. Absolutely yes. And I said, you let me know when and where. And so that was in April. And he set a time to call about four days later. And so I talked to him on the phone for the first time.
1: And what was that like? How'd it go? Wow.
0: My first thought, it was like my mind was crazy. It was about three or four days in between. It's like, you know, I don't think I slept or whatever. And I was like, what Does he sound like? Does he sound like me? Does he sound like me? And I think he sounded like me when he called right on the dot. I think it was like four fifteen. He was gonna call 4 to 15. I was waiting by the phone, <laughs> waiting by the phone. <laughs> and he called and talked, and it was like it was just me say relief. I feel as if you know, I feel, felt as if I was holding my breath for forty five years, and I could breathe. I could breathe, and I simply told him the story of circumstance and why he was placed and uh, about my angel Dr. B and all of that and so that was May I think we talked for the first time and we kept telephone conversations and we end up meeting for the first time in person July 5th of 2018.
1: During the nights before that meeting Yvonne didn't sleep well at all. Her mind was racing too much trying to imagine how her reunion would go. All she had was the image of her baby boy's face etched in her mind, the glimpse of a family photo on the office credenza of her son's adoptive mother's desk, and the adult picture from LinkedIn of himself as a man. Reading his profile, she learned that her son had the same major as she did in college, and it turned out he also wanted to be a physician. Nature and nurture were part of his life, but the nature was starting to shine through for Yvonne. Yvonne lives in Washington, D.C. Her son lives in central Virginia, so they met at a halfway point between them in Fredericksburg, Virginia, at a hotel. At 12 noon on July 5th, Yvonne is in the lobby waiting for her son.
0: And uh, he was texting me. He was on my way. And I said, This, you'll enjoy this thing. And I said, Text me before you come into the hotel lobby because I may pass out, but because I got to get prepared to see you. <laughs> so and I was serious. You know, how <laughs> how you going to respond to your, your child? You haven't seen it in 45 years. And so I texted him. and I said, Well, I'm sitting in the lobby on a sofa facing the fireplace. And so it was getting close to 12 noon. And it's like, I was looking at my clock. I think it was like 10 minutes to. And so, of course, I was facing away from the lobby doors where people come in. And you know how you can sort of sense that somebody is there? Mm. And I looked around, and he had walked in. And and I say it this way. (laughs) My beautiful brown baby boy, who's now... An adult man, six foot tall, was just standing there with this big smile on his face. And we just embraced, hugged. I just sobbed. I just, I know I wet his shirt all up and just was holding each other and embracing. And he just locked his arms around me. And I know people in the lobby were wondering what's up with us, but I just didn't even care.
1: That is unbelievable. That embrace must have just felt Absolutely amazing.
0: I felt like I could breathe again. I felt like I could breathe again. So the embrace and hug for, I mean, I don't know how long we held that. And once we released, I looked up at him because he's taller than I am. <laughs> and I, I just said, my son. He said, yes. There's not an amount of money in the world that was priceless. That moment. Priceless
1: that's amazing so what did you guys do after you sort of came down from that moment of finally meeting each other did you just sit and talk well we
0: we went upstairs to the suite that i had and you know like it's a little area sofa tv and whatever and sit and talked on the sofa um and at holding hands, I bought some things. I bought the letters, copies of letters I'd sent to the social services over the years. I always was a writer in journals, so I bought some of those, some family pictures. And so I had that up there to show him, all of that. And we just sat and talked for six hours. We took a break to go to Cracker Barrel, which is a <laughs> restaurant to get some lunch, And I found out that was one of his favorite restaurants, so that was all good. And so I really, we we just talked until uh, it was dark and whatever, and he had to go back home. And that was the beginning. That was the beginning.
1: That life-changing event happened in July 2018. Yvonne and her son have seen one another three times in person, one of which was October of that same year for his birthday.
0: And this was important for me and it turned out for him also because you as an adoptee know, you don't know your history, especially when you go to medical and so forth. And so I had been working on my family tree for both sides of the family, at least both sides of my dad's family. And I've been compiling over years. So it's like it's a Word document of 30 pages each. For his birthday, I presented to him his family tree as well as my DNA from Ancestry.com this shows the heritage from coming from and all of that.
1: So he wow. had all
0: of that. So that was my birthday gift.
1: That's really amazing. How did he receive it?
0: Oh, he was thrilled. He was thrilled. You know, it was like sitting, the this- we met again, <laughs> Cracker <of> Barrel, <roll. laughs> mm-hmm. and he was just thumbing through it uh, the whole time. So, wow, it was like this, and I was telling a lot of narrative history because we are and from the family of Nat Turner in uh, Southampton County, Virginia, and all of that. So, just a lot of just family history stories that um, he now knows his roots.
1: That's incredible! What a gift. And that's so interesting, too. It's especially poignant, I think, for Black families because mm-hmm. there's the history you have, the history you lost, and the history that was you were disconnected from in adoption, right? There's right. so much to try to convey. And my birth mother, Anne, did the same thing. She was a genealogist, and she was a librarian, mm-hmm. and just a skilled researcher and she found all of this family history and she gifted me a Mm -hmm. an album of pictures of herself and right a whole lineage of our family and it was just this amazing connection back to history both personal and global you know from you know the days of you know the jim crow south it through Mm -hmm. the slave trade and it was Mm -hmm. just such an interesting way to get connected back I can imagine what he felt like to receive that from you that's really cool
0: you know and it was important for me to have that for him when you mentioned for and one particular artifact that I had by doing my research right in the courthouse of Southampton County Virginia and pulling copies of old I mean like 1800s and whatever I found a deed that uh, my great great grandfather after Coming out of slavery, being a slave, thirteen years later, what land? Thirty acres for like three hundred wow. dollars. He signed a deed with an X. So that was the kind of thing I was able to show him. Wow. You know what? You know because I, I truly believe you know know where you come from to know where you're going, and realizing he wouldn't have had all of that. You
1: know. So you guys are in reunion still.
0: Yes, we are.
1: That's excellent. Yes, we are. I'm glad to hear that. So first of all, Yvonne, I really appreciate you opening up to share your story because you and I have talked quite a bit, but Mm -hmm. never in depth about who you are as a birth mom. Right. And it has been enlightening to hear your experience, both personally, colleague to colleague, and adoptee to adopt to birth mother. Right. And so right, right. I think it's really powerful for adoptees to hear some of the stories of birth mothers, which brings us mm-hmm. to your project.
0: Yes. So
1: <laughs> tell me what you've been working An- on.
0: Another journey, mm-hmm. another journey, <laughs> you know, <laughs> and, and I think I said to you recently, November 29th of 2020 was when I think I heard your podcast that you had a birth mom on. And I so related to that because I was listening, I mean, I would listen to your podcast and specifically, as, as you just said, to get the perspective of adoptees. I know my perspective as a birth mother, but I didn't know adoptees. And I'm always part of the, the journey and the healing and of, of reunion and getting to know my son and he getting to know me and all of that is to know the perspective. Everybody's different, of course. But when I heard that and I, I reached out to you, and I remember sending an email and you immediately responded. And I said, I want to do a birth mom podcast. <laughs> I said <laughs> just like that. <laughs> Because I think a comment you said on the show is that that uh, you would hope that bir- uh, birth mothers would step up and do that because that's something that's needed. Yeah. And I have had realized that before because, and when I use the terminology, I've been in the rooms, meaning birth mom support groups or whatever, even before I found my son, even before, you know, and recognizing that there's a community there, there's, I call it a village there. Of being related to each other, but at the same time being able to talk to each other and deal with th- this this journey of healing is serious. <laughs> you have to see it that way because it's 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 emotions we're all wrapped up in the terminology. Even my son and I both will use this roller coaster of emotions. Mm-hmm. It is a roller coaster, and a lot of times you don't know what that day is going to bring, and how do you, how do you heal? How do you deal with that? And so conversations around it and and being in rooms and different people and different perspectives and so forth. So this podcast, Birth Moms Real Talk, is going to be exactly that. Real talk with birth moms as well as a discussion about different topics that sometimes are, are tough. I'm calling them hot topics because a lot of times people don't want to talk about it. They want to face the reality of... Or, how do you deal with what if your child does not want to see you? There's some birth mothers don't want to see their children, you know? So, all, all of that degree is real and everyone's different, but how can we get through this healing together? One thing I would say, and for me, and I believe for my son also, that that time we saw each other for the first time, that was the beginning of both of our healings. I truly believe that. I know it is for me. And because I mean, he, he, I think you put it that way, of a missing piece of myself. For that time, it was 45 years. So he'll be 48 in October. So all that, for 48 in October, from that time of looking him in his face that first time, I still see. And that was something I said to him the day we met. I said, you still got my eyes. You still got my nose. You still got my mouth. I could see it. I could just see it. it was etched in my mind, 45 years before I saw it, when I saw him that first day.
1: That's amazing. It
0: was still there.
1: Really incredible. I'm excited for your podcast. I know, you know, you and know I have been working on it for a while. and Yes. I meant it when I said it, that it w- it's needed. There's a lot of adoptee content out there. And my suspicion, I've often joked, but I mean this relatively seriously, that I believe there are a lot of birth mothers like you listening Mm -hmm. to the podcast because it's like if you've ever had children and you've driven in the car with them you know they'll sit in the back seat and they'll talk to each other as if you're Mm -hmm. not even sitting there and they'll Mm -hmm. say all kinds of crazy stuff and I feel like the podcast is a bit of a way (laughs) for y'all to listen in on us talking to each other Mm -hmm. to gain some level of perspective as to what we've been thinking and feeling. And that's part of the joy that I get from doing the show is that Mm -hmm. I get to help other adoptees bring their voice forward, their opinions forward, their feelings forward for one another to hear and for others to learn from, be it birth mothers, Mm -hmm. non-adoptees, birth fathers, Mm -hmm. whatever the thing is. You know, I Mm -hmm. want folks to have that. And, And so I'm excited for your show because... This is another piece of the story that precedes our own piece of the story. We know Mm -hmm. if reunion happens and we hear your version of the story, we we hear certain parts of it and we're able to fathom certain parts of it. But to have you all talk to each other and bring out the history of how you got to this point where you found yourself pregnant, what it was like to traverse Mm -hmm. that pregnancy, be it as a community right. or very much alone and what you had to endure in the aftermath of trying right. to understand who you are now as a woman, as well as right. how you are going to traverse the rest of your life with this thing that for all intents and purposes sort of has you in a closet. And as you right. said, it's not until you get to face it, acknowledge it and re- reunite with a child in many cases that you can start to breathe again. So I'm just really happy that you have taken the initiative and are inviting women to open up with their courage to share their stories. I think it's going to be amazing.
0: Absolutely. And it's been such a thrill because, you know, I've taped some episodes and all different, some are reunited with the child, some are not, different circumstances of how they became mothers. And that's the joy of it, as you just said, that the diversity – around it that people are going to hear all different kinds of stories behind it and get that perspective and i agree with you for is this podcast is not only just for birth moms for adopt it's for everyone and i say that for everyone because part of it and one part of my journey of learning number 1 2 a lot of people outside of the triad being adoptees adopted parents or or birth parents don't understand the whole, I see adoption, what people go through, and the reunion. And f- specifically, like when I was in reunion with my son and I shared that. And sometimes the response was, oh, I guess now everything is fine. You know, it's like, is <laughs> that as easy as that? <laughs> so it's not like you just. You know you're away from your child for 45 years, and now you meet them, and oh, okay, everything just immediately go the yeah, process. Fixed. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. I actually somebody said that. Oh, everything good now.
1: <laughs> oh man.
0: Well, it is. I'm grateful. And I'm blessed of that, but it's working through that and the healing. Yeah, that's a big part of it. And understanding that whole when the, or you heard me say that I wrote the letter to just let the adoptive uh, family know of the reason why that I did love my son because I've heard this too. It's like, well, if he plays for adoption and you don't want them, or you now now you would understand this. Name What's fighting words to me? <laughs> that fighting words to me when someone says you gave my baby away. I did not give my baby away. I placed my son in adoption. Mm -hmm. So that's fighting words for me. Mm -hmm. You got to fight on your hand for me, Vaughn. You say that to me.
1: Yeah, that's right. Well, good for you. I guess more than anything else, I'm glad you're able to breathe in a full way having gone through reunion with your son. I'm so thankful that he was receptive. I know it took him a couple of years to finally sort of reconcile Mm -hmm. himself to the idea that you were out there and you know Mm -hmm. he is of you and that you are connected regardless and and i'm so glad that you've found a way to make a connection with him and and again i'm really appreciative of your effort to help bring birth moms real talks podcast to the air so that people can hear some stories from some birth moms so congratulations on getting this show going yeah
0: Thank you so much, Damon. You've been there with me because it's been <laughs> all and down, but you've been there, and I so appreciate you.
1: Of course. My pleasure. Yvonne, this was really great. I'm so grateful for your time and your openness and your candor. Thank you so much, and you take care, all right?
0: Okay. Thank all you, right. Damon.
1: All the best. Bye-bye. Bye. Hey, it's me. While we were talking, Yvonne said her story is like a lifetime movie with its emotional roller coaster and her incredible lived experiences. After achieving academic greatness from rural small town roots, Yvonne found herself pregnant and alone in 1973. She delivered her son but didn't even see him. Yvonne saw his face 10 days later when she returned to the hospital as the only person who could extract him from maternity and it was the first and last time she saw his face for decades. When Yvonne found him online, it took him three years to return her message and invite her to talk. It was that meeting with her son that allowed Yvonne to breathe again after more than 45 years. You've now heard two birth mother stories on the Who Am I Really podcast and Yvonne would like to bring more stories forward. She's launching a new podcast called Birth Moms Real Talk coming out in another week and it'll be available wherever you get your podcasts. I've heard one of the episodes of Birth Moms Real Talk and it was enlightening to hear the experience of another birth mom besides Anne-Marie and Yvonne, my guests. And there are so many more stories to come. To the birth mothers listening, I hope you'll subscribe to Birth Moms Real Talk podcast and join the Facebook community to support one another. I'm Damon Davis, and I hope you found something in Yvonne's story that inspires you, validates your feelings about wanting to search, or motivates you to have the strength along your journey to learn, who am I, really?